Hey team, it's Ando here. 2022 is a big year for Australian rugby, and we at Pick and Drive Rugby want to be in the thick of it, but we need your support. We want to attend post-match press conferences to ask your questions. We need more interviews with players and coaches to give you the insights that you want into the game they play in heaven. And we want better recording equipment to create a superior listening experience for you. If you like what we do, and let's be honest, even if you don't, please consider getting involved and sending us a tip. All donations will be put straight back into the podcast. We do this for love, not money, but every little bit counts. So please go to ko-fi.com slash pick and drive rugby. You can give us $1, you can give us 5 whatever is within your budget, we would be incredibly appreciative for. Thank you for your support. Let's get back to the pod. Wade Cooper, for the win, it's on its way, it's on its way, it's gone, Wade Cooper is the man. Hi there and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, where diehard rugby fans having weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family friendly and positive. Get involved. Get involved. Oh, yeah. I'm your host, Mitch, joined as always by my co-host, Ando. Ando, how are you this week? Wonderful to be here with you. Feeling very, very excited to just have a cathartic session of getting off uh, all the frustration and uh, anger from the Wallabies result on the weekend. So I'm I'm glad we waited a couple of days to record. (laughs) This is, yeah, this is a weird, uh, weird place to be in as an Australian rugby fan. I won't say as a Wallabies fan, but just as an Australian rugby in general. After the amazing, amazing sevens result last week, which kind of happened after we finished recording, so we weren't able to cover it in the podcast last week. But after that amazing victory, and then the Wallabies performance on Sunday morning in Australia, you know, the highs of the sevens, the lows of the Wallabies, it's a bit like, where do we sit? Which way do we feel? So a lot of mixed emotions at the moment, but um, glad to be here. Glad to chat through all of those emotions with you, Ando. I'm looking forward to it. Why don't you uh, run us through our social media platform and then I'll dive into the Super Brew results. Yeah, easy. So, I mean, we're basically on every social media platform. Um, You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, Facebook as the main three, Twitter being the most active of those. Uh, I apologize to anybody that got caught up in the Razzie uh, Razzie Erasmus chat (laughs) over the weekend as well. That was was a bit of fun, but it seems that I've alienated a few South African listeners, so I apologize. That uh, was all you, you Ando. All you. I didn't even know what happened. No, um, I actually do want to get into that later when we talk about the South African game. But either way, you can find us on all those major platforms. Um, and keep an eye on Instagram. Mitch, you don't know this, but I, I might be putting out some um, AI-generated rugby or wallabies <laughs> art over, over the coming days and weeks for a bit of fun to see what nightmarish hellscapes AI um, art can be generating. So I'm very excited for that. Keep an eye out and it'll be a bit of fun. So Ooh. check us out on all those major platforms. Nah, good, good plug. I, I look forward to checking that out too. That'll be cool. All right, let's dive into Super Brew this week. So well done to Anna, Anabung or, yeah, I think that's how you say it, yeah, Anabung. Anabung. Anabung, uh, for taking out the yellow cap, uh, 11.5 points in this round. Well done. AK in second place on 10.5 with Mero in third place on 10 points. So well done to all three of you there. We look at the overall table. Anabung has jumped up into first place with the yellow cap this week. 22.58 points accumulated there. 
Mero has jumped into second place, uh, 22 and a half points, and then Sensation is in third on 21.25. Uh, special shout out to one of the fans or friends of the pod, uh, Nelson Dale, who is, I think last week, finishing the round, was in first place. He's now fallen down into fifth place, so he's gone down, down three. three places. They must have been. Well, you said our tipping comp was easy, mate. Thought you said it was easy. Yep. So we'll hopefully see an improved performance from him next week. How good. Well, mate, I'm really excited because tomorrow night I am going to be interviewing Josh Turner from the Victorious Aussie Sevens team after they've come back and taken out the Hong Kong Sevens. So, like we said, there was a piece of, there was some pretty great news over the weekend, well, Ash Clark early last week about that. So we've been able to wrangle an interview that was going to be happening tonight not happening instead it's had to be pushed back by one day so wednesday morning should be when that episode is released which should be myself and josh having a chat about all things sevens rugby so it should be good sure you- we're splitting it up so you can listen to us in this podcast which you are doing which is great and we just <laughs> focus this on the 15s the women's game uh, and then we can have a separate podcast on the sevens a little bit later in the week so two podcasts from us in one week you're getting lucky but in yeah, saying that i good. don't think we'll have a podcast out next week Oh, I'm actually around, mate. The uh, school camp I was going to be on has been cancelled. Okay, so well, I'm I not going to be around next week. So right, I'll do a solo pod. How good would that be? Uh, <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of solo pods, friend of the podcast, Gold Digger, did do a great podcast this week after the Italy game. So if you, if you need a bit of therapy just to let it out, listen to that because that was great. I listened to it on the way to work this morning. And, um, yeah, very, very good to just, like, feel the emotion that was emanating through those speakers. Well, it's so good because he gets his voice low and he moves in really close to the microphone and he just has this way of speaking that I wish he was reading me like nighttime lullabies or something like that. I would just love to have Matt read me things as I'm falling asleep. It would be brilliant. So make sure you get involved and listen to that from Gold Digger. It's absolutely fantastic. But Mitch, what are we talking about tonight? What are we going to run? Tonight, we'll start off with the Wallabies uh, performing in Italy. We need to get it off our chests. We, we need to do we a do. bit of therapy. We need to talk through it. We need to kind of come out on the other side and, and sort of look at the, the rest of this tour and see if we can salvage what is the, the year the Wallabies have had in 2022. We'll then talk about some of the other international games that went around, uh, went, uh, happened over the weekend. We'll then dive into the grand final of the Rugby World Cup, England versus New Zealand. And then we'll finish things off in the locker room answering you, our fans, questions. Well, mate, I'm very excited. Let's jump on into it. Let's go. All right, we're at the part that everybody needs. This moment of catharsis, this moment of release of pent-up anger and aggression. And that has come as a result of the first ever loss by the Wallabies to Italy in Florence. Now, this is something that I was concerned was going to happen when the team list was announced. With 11 changes to the starting 15, it was something that I was really concerned the Wallabies were not going to be able to put in the performance that they needed to, to beat an Italian team, which despite being the whipping boys of the Six Nations competition, uh, have shown at points throughout the last couple of years that they can string some excellent play together. And in this game, they played very, very well. Mm. And the Wallabies played quite poorly 
at large parts of the game. And it was a perfect storm for Australia to lose their unbeaten record against Italy. Mitch, how pissed off were you at the end of this game? Look, very pissed off, very angry. I think one of the more angry reasons I had was that I had sat up until 2 a.m. when I had to be up for work at, you know, six hours, five and a half hours later. Um, I sat up thinking, you know, this should be a good game. I'm, happy, I'm keen to see how some of these guys go giving their first crack at test level. Uh, and then to see the performance that was put out and then the overall result was quite disappointing and quite infuriating. I do need to echo your comments previously, Ando, that Italy played really well. And I think that's one thing that we need to put out here is as much as we're Australian rugby fans and we sit here and say the Wallabies lost and how bad that was, Italy deserved to win this game. If Ben Donaldson had made that kick at the end, I don't think it would have been a just victory for the Wallabies. And in some ways, I think it's good that Italy was able to get the victory because they were the far superior side on the, t- on the night. Uh, and they did things and put the Wallabies under a lot of pressure and scored points that the Wallabies weren't able to do to Italy. So well done to Italy. You did play really well. And um, yeah, there's some interesting things that we're going to be talking about in the next little bit. One of the things I really wanted to point out with Italy was um, the way in which they were able to manipulate the Australian backline at really key points within the game, particularly when Jake Gordon went off that absolutely stupid yellow card that he received. Mm. Um, the width of their backline play was really, really impressive. So the first or the second try, I think it might have been their first try in that, in that movement. Um, they basically had uh, Jock Campbell was playing 15, was playing nine as a result of Gordon being off the field. And um, with that, they had the Wallabies had fewer players in defence, and the Italians were able to go wide, but with kind of like second row, second line of attack, um, out the back from the playmaker. And it was actually Lenny Ikitao that went up and made the wrong kind of tackle on the Italian player, got bumped off. Players had to come in, and then Campbell wasn't there because he'd been filling in at, defensively at nine. Campbell wasn't there to provide that over, that extra man on the wing, which meant that Noanganitawasa was just screwed. Um, actually, no, it's right at that point for that try was just screwed. And so it was a lot of it comes down to the speed and the well-drilled nature of the Italian attack, exploiting a kind of disjointed defensive display from the Australian backs on the, on, on the back of the fact that we were retreating a lot of the time in defense because the Italian forwards as well. We very, we had very few dominant tackles in defense. So there's just, there was so much that was going wrong for the Wallabies, but a large part of it was because of the pressure, the speed, and the quality of that Italian attack, which is somewhat surprising. Maybe we were poor to enable them to be that good because, mm. look, whack. they played well. They definitely played well, but their record speaks for itself in terms of poor performances over the last couple of years. So, yeah, it was, it was really, really disappointing. But You could even see, like, when you, if you were on Twitter during the game, um, you could have seen some of the pundits were sort of saying like every time the Wallabies did something like, you know, made a line break or um, bust a tackle or something, everyone online was sort of saying, well, here it comes. This is the, the moment where the, war- mm. the the band snaps and they'll run away. And we've played well up until this point. So even the Italian fans were waiting for the Wallabies to kind of turn that corner and to take the game out of the hands of the Italians. It just never happened. And that, I guess, in, yeah. in, in a lot of ways, that was what was frustrating was that we were reactionary to so much this game. We weren't setting the pace of the game. We weren't making... Will Skelton was making dominant ball runs, but most of the time we weren't making metres with the ball in hand. And so 
Italy was able to do that and we allowed them to do that. And that was what was frustrating. And one of my catch cries over the last kind of six to 12 months has been the consistent inconsistency of the Wallabies. That's just been the most frustrating element to being a fan of Australian rugby and particularly the Wallabies is our inability to string quality performances together. So we played for large parts of last week incredibly well against France, pushed them to um, come within kind of a finger, fingernails grip of actually winning that game. And yet it was almost the reverse where despite the fact that we were really close to winning this game with that misconversion by Donaldson right at the end, like you said earlier, I don't think we would have deserved the win even if we did snatch it because I think Italy played better and we were in so many ways the architects of our own defeat. So there's a couple of really good stats and quotes here from Mal Vares or Matt on Twitter. Um, he does a lot of the stats for kind of rugby Australia and um, stuff like that. So he provides some of the statistics for the really slow starts that the Wallabies have had. In 2022, Australia has led at halftime in just two of 12 games. In those 12 games, they've won two and they've trailed in eight for seven losses. So basically, every time we're losing at halftime, we go on to lose the game. We're not able to chase the game down. Um, and rugby World, uh, post Rugby World Cup 2019, we've led in at halftime in eight games. And of those eight games, we've won seven and drawn one. So it just shows us the ways in which the Wallabies need to be focusing on those fast starts. And like, I just want to touch on Jake Gordon's yellow card mm -hmm. for a player of his quality and his experience at a super level. And the fact that he was one of probably the more experienced players on the field, his giving away of that yellow card is, I'm not going to say it's unforgivable because that's like a large amount of hyperbole, <laughs> but he's got to be better than that. Yeah. He's just got to absolutely be better than that. Um, especially when after in this game, we considered 16 penalties, 10 more than last week, uh, five, five, five more than last week five. against France. And it's just, it's just not good enough that we keep giving away penalties, particularly within the first half that gets the, lets the opposition get the lead. And we've, we've spoken about this all year for the Wallabies that when we give away yellow cards, that's when teams pounce on us. And there's probably in two games, maybe in the last, maybe three games in the last two years where the yellow card has sort of been a way of waking the team up in a way. And I think that that French series back home on home soil, when Corabetti got that red card, that really sort of rallied the troops and they were able to put in a good performance and sort of try and, you know, take the game into their hands, that sort of thing. But since then, this year particularly, once we've given away those yellow cards, the team has allowed the opposition to sort of dictate terms. and. Um, you know, Italy scored two tries or two or three tries in that 10 minute period where Jake Gordon was off yep. this week. Yeah, and two tries. Yep. we can't, we've, we've, sh we've shown that we can't give teams leads because we find it very hard to sort of catch back up to parity and then take the lead back. So it was, it was really frustrating. At the time, I was a little bit suspect of if it deserved a card. Like I thought, you know, penalty maybe, but it's the way the referee ruled it on the day. Like he, he did take him off, off the ball. Um, yep. In other games, he angled into him. Penalty. Yeah. did angle into him. But it, it, as you said, Ando, it's just silly, unnecessary stuff. With a player who is the New South Wales Waratahs captain, he should know better and he shouldn't be giving away and doing those silly um, foul play incidents all the time. And on that point, um, again, from Malvarez, Jake Gordon delivered the Wallabies 13th card of 2022. That's 12 yellows and one red. 
they've only played 12 tests. That makes across 2021 and 2022, 23 cards in 26 tests. That's just not good enough. And it's one of the most frustrating things. You remember um, when James Slipper got pulled up in the, was it the rugby championship? He was identified as the leading penalty magnet across mm -hmm. all the teams. Yep. And he was like, oh, am I? The part that frustrated me about that, despite the fact that I like Slipper a lot, don't get me wrong. That um, was the part that frustrated me. Presser, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Was the question of how doesn't he know that? How aren't the the um the number of penalties that are, that players are giving away being something that's highlighted significantly every week? And maybe his comment was he didn't realize he was the most in the competition kind of thing. But either way, it seems like there's just externally from what team the team is producing on the field, not enough emphasis upon the discipline within the team. And some of it's just lazy, lazy stuff that's being given away, which is incredibly frustrating. Um, but I mean, when we come into it, the big question is, betting, is being asked about the number of changes that Rennie made mm. to the starting team or particularly to the 23 coming into this match and whether or not that was the right or the wrong decision. What's your opinion on that? Look, there was 12 changes made to this uh, from, the t from the team that played to the 23 that played France last week. There was 20 12 changes. Uh, 11 of those were decisions, like tactical decisions. One of those was Nick Frost, who withdrew late due to um, an ankle injury stomach, and, then some, and, stomach, and some stomach yeah. things that have apparently been going around. So don't eat the snails, mate. Don't eat the snails. Yeah, all the all the frogs' legs, apparently. Um, so that's that's a big that's a big decision to make. First of all, to make eleven changes, and the the first thing that I wanted to say around this, and it was kind of my point that I wanted to finish on later in the podcast, but I think now's a good time as any. Is when we look at this team, uh, it's very hard to call this team the Wallabies in a lot of regards. This was pretty much an Australia A team. We look at a team that played in the Australia A last test against Japan. Of that 23 that was named, we had, I think it was seven in this uh, 23 this week. So we had Tom Robinson, Lockie Lonigan, Ned Hannigan, uh, Ben Donaldson, Mark Nwanganidawasi, uh, and, well, Tom Banks. Langy Gleeson. Possibly. Langy well. Gleeson, Caden Neville. Um, right, did you say McWright as well? And... Well, McRite, he was he didn't play that last game. Brad Wilkin did. But, oh, right. Yeah, um, okay. That's yeah. another player. So we're looking yeah. at seven or eight players that were in this match day 23 who are predominantly Australia A players. Now, you will say that Ben Donaldson, Mark Nwanganidawasi, Jock Campbell, all of those players deserved to make their debut for the Wallabies. They've been playing well. But at the same time, like the amount of changes that Rennie made to this team, it was very, very... We, as fans, we couldn't really expect them to come in and play cohesively and play well as a unit when these guys have had minimal minutes, particularly this test level. And not even that, they haven't necessarily played with the other players around them. So the front row, Tom Robinson's packing down with um, Flau Fengaa and Alan Alalatoa. Now, has that happened at all this year outside of training? Like these are, these are um, positional changes that have been made by Rennie that cohesively aren't aren't uh, tried and tested and worked upon week in, week out. Yep. Yep. And so, I mean, 
there's one one of the main areas that we're meant to be looking at in terms of the cohesion of a team is a defensive integrity, right? And the Wallabies only made 81% of their tackles on the weekend. So that is really, really low. And if you want to be one of the top teams, you really should be getting up up, up around like 88 to 92 ish on a consistent basis so that level of inaccuracy is really really poor um so just just kind of within that what's the reasoning then for Renning to be making these changes because he's not dumb and anybody who's calling him an idiot and saying he doesn't know what he's doing is just obviously wrong so there needs to be some method to what we're perceiving as being the madness here as to why he made that many changes is it purely just trying to provide more game time to the touring players and he just wanted this to be the match where they got minutes under the belt um why would he be doing yeah this? look so i think we can see here and we can say that it, it appeared from the outside that rennie had already bookmarked this test as a win so he looked at the tour he looked at who we were playing and he thought you know this will this will be a victory for the wallabies this is the opportunity for us to test some new guys to give some guys game time the wider training squad to give them a crack and to give them some minutes. The sort of questions that I have then are around the players that he did select and the players that he didn't. So why did Michael Hooper get rested for this game? I, I said on our group chat at the time that I believe that if Michael Hooper had played this game, I think we win. I think just the leadership and the direction that he gives teams when he plays would be enough to solidify at least the forward pack to do things better than they were. And in such a tight game, I think he would have gotten us over the line. Michael Hooper has had, what, four months off since his last game with the Wallabies with that sort of rest, that stand down. There's two games left for the Wallabies this year and then they have 12, 18 weeks before Super Rugby fully sort of kicks in and, and pre-season starts. So it's not an issue of overloading his minutes. He hasn't played an, a massive amount of minutes this year as he has in the past. So I, I understand people saying that Fraser McWright needs game time. He deserves it. But the performance that he put in this weekend, if we compared it to what Hooper would have done, it's probably chalk and cheese and it's unfortunate. Mm. But again, it comes back to that decision of giving players the opportunity at this level, but not allowing them to excel and to succeed because he hasn't set them up with the leadership around them. He, we had Alan yeah. Alatoa as well, first test captain. For the for test captain for the first time, he's captained the Brumbies this, all this year, and he's done really well there. It's unfortunate that Ella Alatoa is now going to be named, and as a trivia question, as the, the captain of the Wallabies who lost Italy for the very first time. And yep. I don't think that's fair for a player of his uh, ability and his, like, his stature in the game. Um, I also don't think it's fair of Ben Donaldson that has to, to come on with five minutes to go and sort of take that shot at goal. The frustration as a Wallabies fan is we're sitting here and it appears like Dave Rennie has set these players up to fail. He hasn't given them the, uh, I guess, the squad selections that allowed them to excel and to succeed. Yeah, and on that point, I mean, you look at Noah Lulisi and how much have we seen him come in and out of the squad at different points over the last two years and um, come in for one game, maybe two maybe get moved onto the bench, maybe drop from this 23 again for people like Quade Cooper and now Bernard Foley or James O'Connor previously. <clears throat> and 
He's he hasn't played the first couple of games so far within this tour. First, yeah, first couple of games so far. He then gets brought in with a player on his inside, um, uh, Jake Gordon, who he hasn't played with a significant amount previously. He's got um, Hunter Paisami on his outside as well. And he is probably going to get dropped for the next game because they'll probably bring Bernard Foley back into the starting team and Bernard Foley will have Nick White inside of him. I wonder how much better Lolasi would have been if he'd had Nick White inside of him and Summer Karevi on his outside. It also so, how, how much better would Lolasi have looked if he had had a Ford pack that featured uh, Rob Valentini, Michael Hooper, uh, yeah. Taniela Tupo, James Slipper, yeah. like the players that are going to give him clean, good, go-forward ball. Is on, in 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 Wallace's defense, I actually don't think he was that bad. Um, his pass for Tom Wright's try was fantastic. A really nice cutout pass in front of Tom Wright gave him the opportunity to get that really well taken try in a corner. I didn't think Wallace was poor particularly. Um, I think he did all that he could behind a forward pack that was in yeah. uh, many opportunities getting beaten. Uh, one stat I just quickly saw, which I just, I'll just raise, um, is defensively. When you're looking at tackles, we had, oh, I'm looking at the wrong page. We mm. only had five dom- dominant tackles across the entire game. Italy had 18 mm. dominant tackles. And like, I don't want to crap on Italy because they're not, they're definitely not a bad team, but they're the worst European team in the Six Nations. Like, yeah. that, that's just true. Um, and so the fact that our forwards are getting bullied by Italy after coming off an, a really strong performance last week just shows the gap between our best eight and the next best eight. Yeah. Look, uh, we've spoken around the decision to rest players, the decision to, to give the new guys uh, the opportunity at this level, and it, it didn't play off, pay off this week. Um, oh, where, where do we move to next? Um, okay. Um, should Rennie be sacked? That's, that's the question that's on everybody's lips. Personally, I think that's ridiculous and it's a um, knee-jerk reaction, but that's my view. What's, what's your view on should Rennie be sacked? I think we need to, like, as rugby fans in general, Australia, we're, we're, very, we're very quick to, to judge and we're very quick to call for the sacking of coaches or for immediate change and hoping that the next bloke that comes in is going to fix the problems without really addressing what the, the real cause of the problem is. Yeah, what is the problem, hey? The problem is the systems, in my opinion. We've talked about mm-hmm. this in the past. Yes, we have. How yeah. many, you know, the pathway, the, the game time the players get, the, the amount of finals footy they play, all those sort of things rolled into one. Um, you look at Dave Rennie as a coach, you look at his record. Uh, this year, we've won four games. We've lost 12. We've got two games left. There's no way that this is going to end on a positive win rate, realistically. We're probably going to get smashed this week against Ireland, and next week hopefully we can put in a good performance against Wales and hopefully beat them. But you've got to look at the results. They've all been tight. We've been close in how many? We were talking about before we started the pod. There's been how many one-point or two-point or three-point losses this year? Like we have been close to so many teams, but we just haven't been able to finish them off. We haven't been able to, to strike that final blow that gets the, the victory in our favor. And so at what point do you then say, okay, we'll be, we've been doing this for so long. What's not changing? We've got the same players. We've got the, you know, we, we're using the excuse of injuries all the time, but he's the coach. Like he's the one that's sitting there 
developing the programs, the training programs, if he's getting this many injuries at training, that's something that needs to be changed. And we haven't had as many injuries on this spring tour as we probably could have, but we have still had some. We've still had players withdraw before, like we had Matt Phillip withdraw before they left Australia. We then have now had Nick Frost withdraw with a niggle. We've had players who are still getting injured at training. And it's just, you know, you talk about whether it's luck or whatever it is, it's got to be reviewed. And so I don't know if I've answered the question, but I don't think that <laughs> sacking Rennie now is going to do Australian rugby any favours. But yep. what realistically needs to happen, and I have read in the reports and the papers that the board aren't happy with this loss this week, and so they're going to do a review at the end of this spring tour and sort of decide where, what happens yep. from there. I think realistically what ends up happening is we don't have those contract extension talks. We don't say what's going to happen. We just wait until we get to the World Cup. We'll see how you go. And at that point, that's when we sort of look towards the future and do we part ways? Yeah. Do we keep going? Yeah. Let's kind of see yeah. what happens. Because, look, I think um, Rennie should not be sacked. That's, that's the long and the short of it. Um, now. I think that... He shouldn't be yeah, sacked correct, correct, now. Correct. Yeah, he should not be sacked now. Um, moving forward, I still do trust in him and I still do think he is a good coach, but he's had a lot of things be really, really difficult during his tenure. I mean, he had the entire COVID period, which was really yep. challenging at the start of him coming on board. And then he has had an incredibly poor run of key players getting injured at inopportune times. Um, some of it like wasn't even his fault. Sami Karevi being over at the, what, the Commonwealth Games, um, getting the injury there. So it's not as though that was in Wallaby's camp mm. under the Wallaby strength and conditioning team. Yep. Um, and Karevi and his team makes an incredible difference. So we need to keep that in mind whenever we're um, discussing this and casting kind of judgments. You can say that... Other, oh, I've got one other yep. sort of point to raise on this as well is uh, the... Decisions that he has made tactically within games has also been questionable. And it hasn't been as much of a highlight probably previously as it is on this tour. So the decision to replace Bernard Foley with nine minutes to go in the French test last week, bring Hodge on. Questions were raised. Questions were asked. Was mm-hmm. this the right decision? It proved not to be. This week, he takes Lalesio off with five minutes to go and brings Ben Donaldson on. Um, again, is that setting his players up to succeed? This is this, the bloke's test debut. Five minutes is not going to, to grow him as a player. It's not going to give him the experience. Yeah. You need at least 10 like minutes. 20 minutes or nothing. 20 yeah, minutes or nothing. 15 minutes at the bare minimum at a test game to, to sort of get in, feel the flow of the game, have an impact. And in Donaldson's defense, I felt like when he came on, he gave it all his all. He was throwing flat balls. He was putting players into space. He did as best as he could. He's not a great kicker. It's a big ask to, to get him to kick that ball at the end there to win the game. So that's, that's not great. We then have the whole Sully Vunavalu situation, bringing him on in the last test in Sydney for, what, three minutes? Like, Yeah, look, I, I'm, I don't... We have to talk about that. that they are tactical decisions. Why are we consistently doing this? Why are we not giving these guys more minutes or less minutes? Why don't bring them on with, in the last 10 minutes? It's not going to benefit a team by bringing a yeah, player sure. on and he's done it three I, I times. Think that, I think though, dude, that's like a minor issue in the whole landscape that we're talking about here. If that's what we're crucifying Dave Rennie about, then I think like... It's still, but I, I still personally <laughs> think it's, a, it's an issue that needs to be addressed when we're in tight games. We have lost both of these games by a point. So in, in the 10 minutes, the game is on the line. And so realistically is, is making those decisions, like take away that England game because that was lost. 
So the Suli situation is different. But realistically, was Ben Donaldson or Reese Hodge going to come on and have such an impact that was going to win us the game over who was already Yeah, sure. Foley okay, I, I disagree with you, but I get the point you're making. I just don't think it's a big deal compared to the other reasons that we're talking about in terms of like issues within the Wallabies setup or um, the challenges that he's had to face. I don't think that those two fair enough examples of late tactical substitutions are like the key element or not the key i know you're not trying to say it's the key element but a a really strong part of um the challenge challenges that we're having around rennie i just think um some of the some of the talk at the moment that's coming out in a bunch of the articles at the moment um from say georgina robinson um or from oh, who else has written something um or Chrissy doran who's now at the raw um they've been quite critical of him talking about how uh some of the old boys club um are looking to maybe uh consider a different coach before the rugby world cup i'm just like no but who absolutely who, no. who have they who, who? have they and, marked yeah but who is also like the great question to ask is will the person coming into the job be able to do fundamentally different or will it just be like a dead cat bounce that that's the idea that a team's been doing badly enough that I don't know, just eventually they're going to start performing better. And does it just happen to align with when you've brought a new coach in? Mm. Um, so I just personally don't think we should be looking at a new coach. And I actually don't think, like, I don't think Rennie is the Messiah or anything like that. <laughs> um, at you this have... point, he is a very naughty boy. What was our um, hashtag in Rennie We Trust? Where's that? In Rennie We Trust. I still, I still in Rennie We Trust. Um, but, it's it, there's definitely cracks appearing in that hashtag. Look, know? I guess the and I don't want to harp on on that point, but the the only frustration that is coming from the fans that are not happy with Rennie is that we're not getting answers, and we're the same questions are consistently being asked: discipline, tactics, personnel. All of those questions are constantly asked to him at post match press conferences and interviews, and we get these like flippant responses of, "Oh, well, the players that we pick should have been good enough to win." Or we had faith in the boys this week and they, they weren't able to pull it off. It's like, yep. but, you know, they can only do as much as they can yep. on the field. We need to address this. We need answers. Why are the players giving away this many yellow cards, this many high mm. penalties, that yep. sort of thing? It's, it's, we're not seeing changes. And I think that's the key frustration from Wallabies fans. And it's a results game. Like, we need to be winning. We need Australian especially rugby to be Italy, winning. Especially against Italy. We can't consistently be going up against nations that we've never lost to before and losing. Samoa. Well, luckily Scotland, we can't. Italy. Luckily we can't because we'll have lost to everybody eventually that can't keep happening. So that's good. Have we been beaten by <laughs> Japan yet? The Wallabies? So. Not, not that I'm aware of, but maybe there's like an old historical game, um, which is an outlier or something like that. Hopefully we don't uh, get beaten by Fiji or, um, or Georgia, sorry, Georgia. I think Fiji Georgia. could beat us. Georgia at the next World Cup. Fiji had beaten us before anyway. Um, so moving forward then, what do we expect for next week? We've spoken and we've unpacked a lot of the challenges from being a fan this week. Um, the reality is that we've got to look forward. We've got to look, try and have some hope, try and have some positive. So this is where we get optimistic, here. right? This is where oh, we, like, we shake off the negativity know. and we get optimistic. I want to. We're a positive rugby podcast, right? I've got some so optimism. we to try and get positive. Okay. I've already on, said, it. I've already said it previously. Okay. This go. week, this test match, this wasn't the Wallabies. This was Australia A. Realistically, the amount of players that was in this 23 that weren't 
that haven't played for the Wallabies, big minutes for the Wallabies this season, was too many, was the majority. And so if we look at the team that we played against in uh, France in Paris last week, we started to see some better performances from those players. We started to see the penalty count was lower. We started to see a bit of cohesion developing. So in a lot of ways, this is a bit of an outlier. This isn't that team. We had made 11 changes. We bring those players back for Ireland. I think we can, we can con- continue that momentum that we, we had against France. The difficult thing is that we didn't have these tests all the way through. In some ways, that's one thing as fans we've been asking for, just consistency in selection. Let's just get through this tour. Let's find our best 23 and give them as many minutes as possible. So in some ways, it's frustrating that we weren't able to do that. We couldn't just put our best 23 out against Italy and see how many points we could beat them by. Um, we ended up losing with Australia A. So I, I'm sitting here as a Wallabies fan, hoping to be optimistic and think that if we do pick Slipper, we get Hooper back, Valentini, um, Holloway, all of those, like um, Kellaway, those players back for Ireland, we can give them a good shake and we can actually compete a lot better than we did this week. So that's my optimistic slant on things that let's (laughs) take this loss to to Italy away. Let's put the asterisks next to it and say this was Australia A. This wasn't the the best team that we have. This wasn't the best team that we had on tour. Rennie has been saying that he's, he's holding his best team for Ireland. So let's see what we can do. We have been asking for Will Skelton to have more impact. That was the one highlight, I think, of yeah, the game yeah, this week. Yeah, he played quite well. Will Skelton was making meters, massive meters with ball in hand, breaking tackles, just being an absolute menace in the midfield. We didn't react well to that, the amount of times that he would get tackled, go to ground, and then turn the ball over because the defense wasn't there to support him. Uh, we can be better in that area, but that's one thing that we have seen as an improvement. Yeah. So. Bring yep. that into the, the forward pack that we have seen against France, and I think we have reason to be a bit more optimistic. Yeah, definitely. So let's move forward. I think the only way that this, map, this series is going to be um, salvaged in a way is if we can have a really good performance against Ireland, maybe even sneak a win, but at the very least perform with a lot more kind of basically provide a performance that can make fans be proud of. Um, uh, of the Wallabies and then get a win against Wales as well. And I guess because... look, the, the frustrating thing too is that we were already sort of joking when we were doing our previews for this tour that yep. we'll, you know, Italy's the speed bump. We'll lose to them. Ha, if ha, we, we lose have. to Italy, what did I say? Something like if we lose to Italy, we just need to like burn Australian rugby to the ground. Something, like, something that. like that. So yeah, something oh, like that. But God. that's the I... unfortunate thing is this game will be the remembering thing from this tour. We'll look yeah. back on this in five years and like, that was the tour. What, what happened in 2022? And that, that's the tour uh, we, lost we lost to, to, Italy. to Italy. And so that's what we'll be remembered as. It won't be remembered as the, the tour that we nearly beat France in Paris. It wasn't the tour that we beat Ireland in Dublin. It's the yep. tour we lost to Italy. And that's unfortunately you, what. You know what? If we beat Ireland in Dublin, it might be it. They're the number one team in the world. I think it could quickly, quickly swap out our memories uh, and change our memories. But... I feel like we've talked enough about this and you've given us some level of positivity. You can tell from the tone of my voice that I've I've perked up a little bit. Uh, So why don't we just quickly, I'm just going to quickly run us through the results, uh, other results from the weekend. And we might just do uh, a comment here or there about some of the matches that we wanted to talk about. So Italy, obviously defeated Australia 28-27, Ireland 35, Fiji 17, England 52, Japan 13, 
Wales bit 20. of trivia on that game. You know, this was only yep. the third time or the fourth time in history that England have played uh, Japan. What? Yep. Really? Fourth time in history they've ever played each other. That's outrageous. Yep. Um, yeah, okay, I've got thoughts on that, but let's leave that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Wales 20, Argentina 13, France 30, South Africa 26, Ooh. and Scotland 23, New Zealand 31. So a couple of quick points I'll say. Um, the New Zealand-Scotland game was incredibly tight. New Zealand really only pulled away in the last kind of 10 minutes with the yellow card to Jack Dempsey, which enabled New Zealand to get a bit of a roll on. Um, the France-South Africa game is an excellent watch. I highly recommend punters go back and watch that game in full if you do have the time, if not, catch the mini of it. Uh, it was really physical, some really great moments, some brutal, brutal moments of Peter Steftitoit's um, red, red card. card. Yeah. The torpedo headbutt on Dante's uh, head, which has resulted in a fractured eye socket, I believe. Um, so Dante's out for obviously the rest of the season and for the rest of the year, uh, which is a massive, massive loss for France. Mm. Um, and also you saw Antoine Dupont also get red carded as well for taking out Ches and Colby's legs um, in the air. Yeah. And Colby landed badly on his head and yeah. neck. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of controversy around that game and some of the comments that have come out afterwards from a certain director of rugby. Um, Wales put in a pretty decent performance against Argentina. Argentina seemed to not be able to back up a great performance from last week um, after beating England and going down to Wales after beating England just kind of is reminiscent of that Chica, Chica era, like <laughs> emotional high and then crushing low. The like almost, getting, almost beating France and then losing Italy. Yeah, I know. I wonder what that would be like. Um, Glad it doesn't happen. Yeah, England, Ireland just romped home pretty convincingly against both of their opposition. So I will say about that, uh, the Ireland and Fiji game, like that was yep. being played at the same time as the Australia and Italy game. So I flicked over a few times and the scoreline was a lot tighter than the final score was. Like it, uh, J- Fiji held with Ireland a lot longer than the scoreline suggests. Um, and I think the final score ended up like, coming around like it, it got to that final score around like the 65th minute so fiji did well in some ways to kind of keep ireland out and stop them scoring more points uh but again it's something we've been speaking about it for fiji for so for so long but their discipline just let them down this week and they gave away some some pretty unnecessary penalties and gave away some yellow cards that are really just lazy um, one thing I'll just quickly, I, I do just want to touch on this because if anyone follows us on Twitter, you'll have seen the diatribe coming from the official pod account towards Razzie, um, Razzie Erasmus over the weekend. So I'll speak to that because as Mitch mentioned earlier, it was entirely me. Um, <laughs> basically the thing that's pissing me off about Razzie at the moment is not him like as a coach or as a man manager of his team. Um, he, he obviously is an excellent coach. He, he knows what he's doing. He knows how to work with players and get the best out of them. Hell, he's a rugby world cup winning coach. Okay. So I'm not, this is not a criticism of him as a coach and it's not a criticism of South African rugby or anything like that. The thing that I am hating at the moment is the constant undermining of refereeing decisions and the pointing out of circumstances which sometimes are 50 50 sometimes are yeah okay that was probably a mistake but only ever in the case of south africa and so he's completely blind to all other realities of player responsibility and ownership and doesn't seem to recognize what he's doing brings the game itself into disrepute in a broader sense and it undermines the 
a position and authority of the referees in world rugby by claiming these false narratives that the South Africans are like picked upon, that there's racial elements to this. Um, and it's, it's just frustrating, particularly when he couches it in terms of um, both, both the French and South African nines are under immense pressure. We just have to get that um, on side, right? Sorry, broken love heart emoji. Like just that totally facetious and totally disingenuous um, messaging coming across is a thing that really boiled my blood. And so that's, that's what I took issue with. And, like, and, 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 and backing you up in that too, it's like if you look at his feed, if you go through his Twitter, he's had yesterday, I think it was, in the space of like 16 hours, he's made four or five posts like that. Like he's One, not two, three, four, five, six, six quotes. Yep. Yeah. So he's no longer doing an hour long video. He's just releasing six posts on Twitter with video evidence over the space of 16 hours. Like it's not much different, is it really? But listen to this, just working through the game and all the lessons we can take from it. Please, if you're doing the same and see some learnings that can educate us and shows the opposite, please share with us. We'll keep them coming so our South African fans understand where we are at. Anyway, like, anyway, oh, I think we've spoken about yeah, it now. Yeah, so yeah, um, yeah, 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 let's, yeah. Uh, let's move on. We've, we've spoken about that name, he who shall not be named any longer yeah, for the rest of the podcast. Shall we dive straight into the World Cup final or shall we? Yeah, let's just dive no, into it. Yeah, yeah, let's dive in. Let's just go. This, this was, in my mind, the best rugby World Cup final that I have watched in my lifetime. It was an incredible game from both teams with moments that just made you stand up and cheer or it, it was edge of your seat stuff from where to go from two incredibly talented teams. I loved it. Loved every minute of it. It really was. It's, and like to, it was the best way to cap off such a great tournament. Like this World Cup has taken the women's game into new eras. There's no way that we're now talking of the women's game as like a second fiddle to the men's game. The women rightfully sold out Eden Park for this final. Like there was more so seats full in this game than I think I've seen at the last three Bledisloe tests being played at Eden Park. Like they may say that they sold out the venue, but when you see it on TV, there's still seats like available. There's- yeah, sometimes it's like sold out available tickets, so they didn't release everything. So it's like, yeah, yeah we sold but- out the eighty percent of tickets that we released. But in this game, like it was packed. Every time yep. it panned to the crowd, there was people up into the very last row. And that was just so cool to see for the women's game and, and so justly needed. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it was, it was one of those games where you almost had a com- completely opposing playing styles uh, going up against each other. And so you had the, the English forward pack just being absolutely dominant within their rolling malls. I mean, Amy Cocaine getting... Um, uh, hat trick of tries as the hooker means that you've got a pretty dominant maul if your hooker's getting that many tries. <laughs> um, they were just incredible. Anytime they were able to get set up within the 22, it was next level. And even um, what the English were actually just using the maul as a way of exiting their own 22 at times. They would be able to trundle it just 10, 15 meters down the field, and the Black Ferns weren't able to stop it consistently or effectively. But then when they got their attacking opportunities, oh, it was, it was just so good to watch. Um, and despite the fact that we had to have Portia Woodman go off with that really nasty concussion injury, um, which resulted in the red card to, who was the red card to? 
uh, Zoe Allcroft, I think. Was it to Zoe Allcroft? Um, this, either way, um, her having to go off, all it meant was Aisha Leti Leiga coming on and she scored two incredible tries coming on as the early sub replacement. It was just a match where so many players stood up to make it the incredible game that it was. Absolutely loved it. I think the the best part for me was uh, on social media, some of the Wallaroos girls, particularly the New South Wales-based ones, were all at, I don't know whose house it was, but they were all together watching the final, having some drinks. And like that, that was the best part for me was that these girls were so invested in this tournament that even though they were kicked out a few weeks ago, they were still getting together as the Wallaroos to watch it and, um, and cheer on whoever it was that won. And, and in this case, it was New Zealand. So um, in some ways, we've been talking about it all through this World Cup that England have been so good and they have been the benchmark team, but their 30 test like victory run had to end sometime. Yep. And yep. New Zealand did it. They really did yep. it this time. Um, it was Lydia Thompson that got the red card, my mistake there. And so it was, yeah, there were just these moments of, um, one, of the, one of the fascinating things I found was the inability, whilst, whilst there was the massive inability of the Black Ferns to be able to defend against the Rolling Mall, it was actually the same for the English as well. So whenever the Black Ferns got the opportunity to um, set up a Rolling Mall within the English 22, um, they were able to get it down. So Georgia Ponsonby got a try, Amy Rule got a try as well, one of the, one of the props. Um, it was just this opportunity. At some points I was thinking it was this really boring forward dominated match, right? But then I just recognized that it was that element of the game showing its strength and class, particularly from the English, but at times from the Kiwis as well. But then also these incredible opportunities for backline movements with um, players like Stacey Flula, who is just one of my favorite players in the women's circuit at the moment, um, Ellie Kildun, and then Aisha. Uh, Leti Lee got getting tries as well. It was just just so, so excellent um, that we were getting this variety of playing styles within the match as well. Yeah. I don't have much else to say. I, um, I've <laughs> good only input, seen, good input. I've only seen the, uh, the mini for this game and I, I was out at the time that it was on, but uh, yeah, how great to see that the, the Black Ferns have claimed the World Cup and we've kept it in the Southern Hemisphere once again. So... That's uh that's a win in my books any day. Yep. If we're keeping 100%. a World Cup off a Northern Hemisphere team where we're doing the right thing. Yep, without a doubt. Um, and I was just cheering for the Black Ferns because there are so many players because I've I've seen them more than I have seen the English team or the Red Roses. Uh, I I know the Black Ferns players more, so I just kind of identify or like them more. So I mean, like Rubes Tui, her post match presser as always <laughs> was absolutely fantastic. Um, it, it was so good to see. And then Rua Hyde Dumont for getting the um, player of the match was excellent. And her speech as captain after the game was incredible as well. Um, but that, that being said, like Sarah Hunter as the England captain was very, very gracious in defeat. Um, and I thought the English team held themselves high in terms of the respect they offered and the fact that they are an excellent team. And this loss doesn't take away from the fact that over the last couple of years, they have been the driving force of women's rugby across the world and the standout team across the world. So I do wonder um, if, well done uh, to moving, both teams. Yeah, I do wonder if moving forward, we've uh, probably done the worst thing we, we could have uh, because the next World Cup for the women is in 2025, uh, three, yeah, 2025 in yep. England. So yep. host nations losing it tightly at the end of this World Cup, best team in the world really at the moment. 
Um, yep. I wonder if we've unleashed a beast who next year they're just next World <laughs> Cup they're just going to go absolutely ham on everyone. So I kind of hope so. That'd be great to watch, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, wouldn't it be good to see them just absolutely? I mean, they did. They did dominate everyone this te- this year. Mm-hmm. They did really, really well. And mm-hmm. and that was, I guess, to, to sort of summarize everything. Two of the best teams in the world going at it for the World Cup final came down to two or three points in and at the end there. Such a tightly contested game. Line out on their own defensive line. They they turn it over and they end up kicking it out for New Zealand to win. But really, if they if England were able to get that line out, they probably score from there from the draw, the driving mall and get yep. the victory themselves. Yep. So two very very close teams, both from different hemispheres. It's such a great narrative. It's been such a great World Cup. It's been awesome to be able to have the access we have through Stan. So they've done a great job as well. Uh, and just a massive shout out to the women's game. It's been so good. I, it's really made me hyped for Super W next year. And I really am looking forward to seeing how the uh, Wallaroos players can come back into their provinces and, and sort of lift and learn the, the and sort of give that group share across to yeah. the other players and just lift the talent across uh, Australian rugby. Yeah, 100%. Well, mate, let's finish on there and then we'll head into the locker room. Let's go. We enter the locker room now to answer our fans' questions and we'll finish the pod off for this week after that. So first question comes to us. Well, there's three questions, but we'll, we'll start with the first one from That Rugby Fella on Twitter. How do you gauge the general public reaction to Rennie? Too harsh or too lenient? Uh, for me, it's a bit too harsh, I think. I think it's a knee-jerk reaction. One bad game does not a summer make, I'm pretty sure is a saying somewhere. Um, so I think that people have just been too reactive. That doesn't mean that questions don't need to get asked. I think I think we should be asking these questions. But to immediately then jump to Sack Rennie, I think is the wrong uh, end point to those questions. Yeah, I kind of agree. I, I don't think they're too lenient they're definitely not too lenient they're probably a little bit too harsh i don't think sacking him immediately is going to help any anyone or anything but there are genuine questions that need to be answered by rennie and there are i think some people that are asking good questions there so i don't think we need to just say that all's good and well like we do need to acknowledge that we're four from 12 and that's not good enough um and we do need to be getting better and so yeah i agree with that so um it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, after these two tests and before the next uh, 2023 season starts. Uh, second question from that rugby fella. Do we view the Lesio's tenure coming to a close for the foreseeable future based on his inability to run the Italy game? No, because I disagree that he wasn't able to run the game. Uh, I think that the challenge was more in the lack of forward dominance that we had or forward um, matching the Italians. And so how often do you hear the adage, I mean, how are you meant to... Like all, all fly halves look bad behind a beaten pack is, is the challenge. And I thought that Wallace here, when he had his opportunities to attack, he, he was pretty good in his delivery and just was, was fine all, all around. He wasn't at fault for any of the tries. He, uh, yeah, did his job all right. So I don't think his tenure should come to a close. I doubt he's going to get picked next week, even though I wouldn't actually mind seeing him at 10 moving forward because uh... getting him playing alongside Nick White regularly. I think is actually a positive thing. I'm going to disagree with you on that point. Uh, Lalesio is now, what, a 16 or 18 test wallaby. So he's had a fair few tests now to sort of show what he's, he can do. But never and consistent. Never consistent. I, I agree with that. For and the I, French series. I, um, I blame Rennie for that. Like I've spoken about that previously. I think that our, 
his handling of the whole development of Alessio has been less than ideal. In, out, in, out. We want you. We don't. We're gonna, we need you. You play this test. You don't play this test. But at the same yeah. time, like we need a fly half who's at test level to be able, regardless of the players around him, needs to come on and fire. We can't have our first choice fly half with asterisks. So who's on. that going to be? Folly? It's Quay Cooper at the moment. Well, yeah, but obviously of, we can't have Quay Cooper. So is it? Is, so at the moment, it's Foley. It has to be Foley. And see, so, I don't see the I don't see the upside of Foley over Lowesia at this point in time because Foley is going to be gone by the end of next year. So, but Lowesia is going to be around, and I think that Foley and Lowesia are actually pretty equal. Well, I would say that Ben Donaldson in the five minutes he was on showed more than what Lowesia did for a lot of. Oh. I, I would. I think that his attack, he he flattened up the attack. He put players in space. I didn't How see a lot of that from Lowesia. Touched the ball week. like twice. Anyway, like at least four times. At least four times. And he looked <laughs> at least. All right. All, so, right. all right. Um, what I'm saying is, though, he has had opportunities. And we can't keep saying that it's because of A, B, C, or D. It's because he doesn't have Nick White. It's because the pack's not good. Like, we can't keep making excuses for him. If he's not the best option at the moment, then he's not going to be picked. And we will I've... find someone else who can do it. We will have to do that. So you know what? I, I can keep making excuses for him for a while. You can time. keep making excuses as long as you like. <laughs> I'm not changing my mind. And I think the key point in this question is foreseeable future so for me i think the foreseeable future is the next two tests he doesn't get picked and then we come to what's our first test next year july most likely uh quay cooper's in or around fitness then i think we see Mm. him so i I wouldn't be surprised and look i'd hate for it to happen but i wouldn't be surprised if alessio doesn't make the world cup squad next year i would be wouldn't be surprised Anyway, right, cool. that's my that's my thoughts and it's an opinion, so it's not wrong. Um, that's <laughs> <all>. <laughs> I fundamentally disagree with that point, um, but anyway, let's keep. Going. Last question: <laughs> What would have been the marquee event for us to admit Australia is a tier two nation? Uh, probably losing to Italy twice. Yeah, probably probably twice. I don't know when we're next playing them, so I don't want to don't want to say that. Uh, maybe losing to Georgia. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Like. I think it'd have to be not getting out of the pools at the next World Cup would have to be like pretty instrumental. <laughs> you mean like in England in 2019? <laughs> yeah, like it, it puts you in that category, doesn't it? <laughs> like it's not a home World Cup, but still not getting out of the pool in a pool that has Wales, Georgia, Fiji, and I'm not sure who it's, the other one is. Yeah, I don't know who the other one is, yeah. At this point, but um, yep. Uruguay, maybe, I'm not sure. But if we don't get out of the pools, then that probably solidifies the Tier 2 Nation status form for me yeah yeah no that makes a lot of sense last question has come in from twitter on twitter from wombat and he says i'm not sure where to start only good showing against ireland and a win against wales will help me sleep better picking our strongest 15 for the next two games is a must any comments from that mate i completely agree we have to pick our strongest um without a shadow of a doubt i would have wanted them to do it again in this italy get one you know what um Maybe the strongest kind of 12 or 13 in our starting 15. And then maybe a couple more changes on the bench as well for Italy. Like I wish that we had more of a consistent approach mm. within this game. Yeah. Um, like four, but five, six at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I agree with like the, the emoji he's got of the monkey with its hand over its eyes, see no evil kind of thing. I at points just want to just bury my head in my hands about what's been, what's been happening, what's been going on. Um, in the last few days, but but if we win or have a good performance over Ireland this weekend, a lot will be forgotten. And if we don't, a lot. And what what if we don't? 
Like, what does that well, mean? Well, if we get absolutely, okay, if we lose, yeah, I'm not surprised. It's Ireland at home. They're the number one ranked team in the world at the moment. But, but then we're looking at what? what is that? Uh, four from 14. It'll be three from, because oh, how many have we won? Four? Four. We're currently 4-12, four four. I think. So I think it's 4-14. Okay. If we lose both games. I'm, I'm not and, saying lose both games. And I will, I'm talking about losing against Ireland. I'm just, I'm just saying, I don't know if you know this, but if we do lose the next two tests, this will be the worst year statistically of the Wallabies in the professional era. It will be our oh worst record God. since 1959. Positive, positive, positive. Good performance <laughs> against Ireland. We'll be okay. Pick our strongest 15 and we've definitely in there with the chance. There's always hope. Ain't that right, mate? There's always hope. There's always hope. There's always hope. I've got one last question for you and then we'll wrap things up. So my question Wait. is, yep. who is our backup hooker at the moment? Dave Precky is oh, clear first choice, head and shoulders above no everyone one. else. You? Bang Ga'a this week had an absolute, just imploded. He couldn't throw a line out straight in any situation on the field. So yeah. we've, we've had five tests this year where Fangaha has given away crucial penalties or mm. uh, throws in, not straight in, in crucial times in game. He is our second choice at the moment. Yeah. Who, who's third? Lockie Lonigan for me, isn't as experienced enough and isn't as consistent as it's, we need him to be. Third's got to be Tolu Latu if he has a decent super rugby season. Um, and that, that's a big if. But he's not a good line-out thrower either. His, his strength has always been scrummaging and um, kind of his, his work around the park. He was never good at the line-outs. Mm. He, was, he was always a lottery. Parecki is literally the only one who can throw the ball straight. So do we just and, let Parecki play 80 minutes and hope he Yeah, Parecki just plays 80 minutes. And Done. just doesn't get injured. Yeah, exactly. Um, or like, it's, it's great talking, hearing from Parecki about the work that was done because he was an English qualified player. Like he, he was potentially somebody that could have played for England. Yeah. The amount of work that the, um, oh crap, what's the Johnson. England rugby union called? Um, anyway, what the English rugby put into him where they had like a specific scrum coach and line out throwing coach who would come around and work with players that were English qualified um, to, to improve them. And they, I'm not sure if Rugby Australia has a person in that position. I've never heard it referenced. You know who it should be if we need one? Who? Tatafi Plotanau. Oh, he'd be the man. Shouldn't he? It. He was, should be doing that. That's what he should be doing. I'll pay he him. Actually I would pay him straight. to do that. Um, throwing it straight. Um, doesn't matter. He's but just a it doesn't. Bloke. It doesn't even need to be a hooker. It's just a technique thing. Yeah. It literally doesn't need to be a hooker. Like you can get a sports scientist or or someone like that to be to be the one teaching it. Um, but it's just. Uh, the fact that we still have that as a weakness and it's something that you and I have been whinging about now for like two years is, is incredible. So it's Parecki. He plays 80 minutes, never gets injured. Okay. Thanks. Bye. And Ed Craig will be the Wallabies hooker in 2025. Yeah. Very keen. I mean, he's not even playing professional rugby at the moment, but he'll oh, get that. He, uh, DC still got him on the outskirts. Yeah. Good, 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 good. Um, all right. That's it for now. Ben didn't answer my question, but. <laughs> yes, I did. It's Parecki, Parecki, and then Parecki. And if anyone, if anyone out there knows who our, our second choice is, who's better than, who fits in between Fangaa and Lockie Lonigan at the moment, let us know. Jordan Ulysses, yep. maybe? Maybe? No, I don't know. He's, he's, been... <laughs> he's the prince that was promised. He's never lived up to the hype. Yeah. Yeah, there's a few of those down in Melbourne, unfortunately. Um, but anyway, that, that <laughs> finishes us off uh, for this week of the pod. 
And uh, you're on again tomorrow night with Josh Turner from the Sydney Seven, well, the Australian Sevens team. So very excited. Do, um, do make sure you check out our feed later in the week for that and get amongst it. And um, yeah, if you've got any questions for for Josh, do uh, do get in contact on Twitter and let us know so we can ask him. Yep, sounds great. Very keen. Cool. Thanks, everyone. We'll catch you next week. See Bye. ya. Bye.